All right, everybody, welcome back to Bucketheads, one of the only college basketball podcast podcasts that comes at you all year long. My name is Connor Lamans, and I'm here with my co-host, Justin Golba. As we are rolling into week two of the NCAA tournament, we have our Sweet 16 locked in. And at the same time of the Sweet 16, we have the coaching carousel, and we also have the transfer portal carousel, and we have a giant St. John's update this week. There is... Ohio State is not playing, but the Ohio State women are playing um, for a week that Ohio State men's basketball is doing literally nothing. There is still a hell of a lot of stuff going on uh, in college basketball that we are going to try to squeeze into a podcast here. Uh, Connor, I have a confession to make. I, uh, I I drank the Duke juice, and I drank it pretty hard. I know. And then after, after yeah, they did. beat Oral Roberts, well, we'll get to the juice you drank, but... Um, I, after they beat Oral Roberts, I did somewhat of a victory lap because they looked so good and so many teams were losing that I thought they'd have a very easy path to the lead eight slash final four. And then they went to the game against Tennessee and you could argue they were physically allegedly, assaulted. Allegedly, yeah, say allegedly Euros Plavchich like just punched <laughs> Kyle Filipowski in the face. I missed the beginning of that game, but I, I turned it on and saw that his face was busted open. He came out looking for blood, and he got it immediately. I will say this. It was the first game I think I've ever seen a team get physically assaulted while flopping simultaneously. Um, it was very weird. I don't understand it. Jeremy Roach picked up more fouls, I think, than he's ever picked up in his career. And that was that. Um, but I drank the Duke juice, and I promised myself I never would. It was one of the first things my parents taught me uh, when I was born. Don't drink the Duke juice. Um but I did, and they lost. But however, you drank the Purdue juice. Any comments on that? I honestly feel like we can move right past that. I feel like the Purdue we, juice. Well, we could, but we could not as well. Was was a very reasonable juice to drink. What what pisses me off about the Purdue juice that I drank, um, very very tangy, um, is that people that I know that like watch college basketball once like the Super Bowl ends basically. They watch for like three, four weeks. They do their brackets and then they look at them and they're like, listen, man, Purdue's a choker. Purdue always chokes. I'm just telling you. And I'm like, listen, brother, I've been watching basketball since early November. I I watched them. I watched them beat Duke. I watched them beat Gonzaga. I watched them manhandle the Big Ten. Like, listen, all they need is for Zach Eady is one of the best college basketball players of all time. All he needs is his teammates to hit like thirty percent of the shots that he finds them for, and they're gonna they're gonna win. They have a great path too. And you know what fucking happened? They didn't hit a single shot. These guys were so scared, Justin. I've never I've never seen guys scared to shoot. Like I don't know if you were. I'm sure you were watching. And like the last two minutes when they were down like three. Like Edie would pass out to like Mason Gillis had a wide open three, which Mason Gillis wasn't hitting shit. He would like shot fake a wide open three and then pull the ball back down. Like he was like, it was hot, it was hot potato no, I can't with that it. ball. He was like, I can't Remember do the, it. I'm going to pass it over to Braden Smith. I forget who was calling. I've never seen it before. I've, ne- he, he, I've he never seen like guys that open. He was like, they do I've not. I've never seen it before. Ball. There were dudes wide open. 
there are guys wide open that would get the ball and they like you could tell the pressure was on them they knew it was going on they're like shit like like mason gillis i don't know what his stat line was i'm not checking i don't care but he was probably at that point like two for nine in the game and he was probably like i can't take the shot i'm not hitting anything i can't be the one to take the shot yet he is the open shooter the guy that set the the Purdue single game record for three pointers a couple months ago with like ten in one game, he's like, I can't do it, and he like sh- he like fakes it and pulls the ball back down, and it's like, oh my god, like everybody on that team except Zach Eady was terrified to shoot the ball. I've never seen anything like it. I saw somebody say during the game, like basically Florida or Florida, Fairleigh Dickinson was like too small for Purdue. And it was accurate. They were just running past them. It felt like they were running underneath Zach Eady's legs while he was like trying to grab him and stuff. It was like every time he touched the ball, it was like hyenas to a lion. You know, they were just like yipping at his heels and like, and he passed it and um, Purdue missed a shot. It was very interesting to watch. He did take like one shot in the last, like I think nine minutes. And I guess my question is because Fairleigh Dickinson is so short, even if Zach Eady is getting like triple team, but like you said, led by like hyenas, if you throw a pass into Zach Eady that's like, I don't know, let's say it's like 10 or 11 feet in the air, could you still feed the post while he's being quadruple teamed? If you throw a pass that's just high enough that only he could get? You could if he would learn to not put the ball down because he did it a couple of times and every single time he did it, they took it. They did even, they even ran the play at one point that somebody inbound on the ball to Eady and it was at his head. And they just jumped and poked it out. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was wild. I was like, why is it everyone like, When you this? scheme it up. It works. When you scheme it up, it makes perfect sense. You're like, okay, so, like, they're going to have to throw, like, three defenders at ED, which they did. And that means that there's going to be one or two empty guys on the perimeter. They're going to get wide open shots. And as long as they hit a few empty shots, like, which they did against Ohio State Every multiple time. times this season. Three times. Which they did against pretty much every – well, I shouldn't say everybody all season because they had some close wins. But they won the Big Ten comfortably through most of the season. They hit enough of those those wide-open shots that they'll win the game. Even though – even if they're not great, when you demand that much attention down low, you're going to get a bunch of empty shots on the outside that just hit some of them and you'll win. And I literally – like it played out exactly that way, but none of these guys other than Edie – could hit shots. And then at the end it was like, not only could they not hit shots, they didn't, they didn't want to shoot the ball. They just, yeah. they were afraid to shoot. There was, I, no, was there was no confidence on that Purdue team. Once there was five, like five, under five minutes, I was like, they're going to lose this game. There's no confidence. And then all the people that start watching basketball in like mid February are like, man, that sucks. You should have listened to me. I told you they're, they're chokers. I told you that. And I'm like, I am going to jump off a bridge. I, I do think like, obviously the caveat is here is like Matt Painter's a great coach. But, man, it's wild, the teams they've lost to in the past three years in the tournament. So, and and I, I, what's kind of funny is, too, is it's it's like it's who they lose to, not where they lose. Because in the last three years, like – Well, yeah, they went to the Sweet 16 last year, right? And they went to the Elite Eight two years ago. So, like, in yeah. the last two years before this, they went to – or was it three years no, ago? No, two years – yeah, two, well, yeah it, was, it was the year before COVID. Two years ago, they lost in the first so, round in North yeah. Texas, that 13-4 game. And then last year they lost to a 15 seed, but they weren't a two seed. They were just in, you know, St. Peter's was just doing their thing. So in the last four tournaments, they've been to, Purdue has been to an Elite Eight where they actually were two seconds away from going to their first Final Four. Purdue's been to an Elite Eight and a Sweet 16 in their last four years. How many many other Big Ten teams? What's that? I'm just thinking, I think that might have been 2018, the Kia Clark play. 
But regardless. I It might be. But I guess even if you back it up to five years, I think it's four. But if it's five, how many Big Ten teams in the past five years have been to at least one Elite Eight? So start with that qualifier. Michigan. And then throw in a second Sweet 16. Michigan? It, yeah, Michigan. I'd have to assume Michigan State, but I don't have the numbers in front of me. It might be Michigan State. So it's like they've I mean, Michigan State did the Sweet 16 this they, year, so they have that. They lose to they lost to St. Peter's in the Sweet 16, which in my opinion, once St. Peter's gets to the Sweet 16, if you lose to them, they've already knocked off multiple like very good teams. At that point, I don't think it's like a holy cow, you lost to St. Peter's. It's like you should have beaten St. Peter's, but at that point, you're playing a team that's hot, that's confident, that's already beaten two really good teams. I don't really knock them for that, but like North Texas not good, but I don't know. I think it's a little overhyped, but it, yeah, they definitely, when they, when they lost in the sweet 16 to St. Peter's probably should have still beat them. Obviously. Ha- I think we just said, thanks for coming out fairly Dickinson when we did our bracket. Correct. Yes. Well, in, in our defense, I'm pretty sure like I'm okay with missing games like that. Like if you want to troll me for saying Purdue was going to beat fairly Dickinson, troll me. That's fine. I'm, I'm okay with that. So yeah, that's uh yeah, I drank the I drank the yeah, I drank the Purdue juice. It just it looked like they had a pretty good matchup path to get to like at least the Elite Eight, um, until I think they would bump into Creighton, which they hypothetically might have bumped into Creighton if they kept winning, because Creighton is on a path that they could go to the final four, but Creighton looks phenomenal. Purdue sure as hell ain't. Also, I was very happy watching the Purdue game because at that point Duke was still in the tournament and I was like, Holy shit, Duke's path to the Elite Eight's gonna be through Florida Atlantic, um, unfortunately. False. 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 Correct. False. But, I mean, something has to be done about Tennessee. My God. They're going to kill somebody. Yeah. Anyway. Well, that's your tournament update. Most brackets are burnt. My bracket's burnt. I focus now on just trying to uh, bet on games individually to make back the money that I put into bracket pools. That's where I'm at right now. Yeah. my uh, I had Kansas in the Final Four as well, so my bracket's burnt. I had Purdue beating Kansas in the championship game, so fuck it all. Um, yeah. I had Texas in the championship, which is looking pretty solid. But um, I think I'm behind Gonzaga the rest of the way. I think I'm a Gonzaga fan. So I'm sure they'll lose to UCLA. What's, what's, what's so wild about the tournament is at the same time, teams that are not in the tournament have gotten a jump start on basically calling and getting commits from all these transfers while the teams that are in the tournament, it's not that they can't contact these guys, but like the teams that are still playing have like, you know, two days to prepare for their next opponent. Or if they're there during the weekend, they have one day. So they don't have time to contact guys, but you have like transfers going into the portal. You have teams that are done playing that are like already hosting guys and stuff like that. And then like, meanwhile, you have teams that are still playing that are like probably would like to get a jump on that, but they can't because they're still playing. I think they probably should move the portal deadline back a week or two. Cause it just, it's almost like, like if like NBA free agency started like two weeks before the finals began or something, it's just, it's kind of wild to me that all these teams are reaching out and hosting players while there's literally still like a week and a half of basketball left. I'll tell you this much though. Arkansas is still figuring out the way to do it. Cause they still reached out to every single transfer to the portal and they're still in the tournament. So Ohio State was reaching out to teams during the Big Ten tournament. I'm pretty sure they were just doing it like from the sidelines. I don't know how you have time during a conference tournament to do that. I mean, it's insane. You play every day, so it's. I don't. Ohio State coaches, coaches do not sleep. That's a that's a given. But man, they really don't sleep in March. 
You sleep in May. Um, no, that's correct. Yeah, we sleep in May. Um, I, we will week. talk about brief, briefly – I don't know what your thoughts are on this. Um, I'm sure everybody has thoughts on this. Um, the kind of players that Ohio State should target in the transfer portal – um, technically, you don't. Know, I want good. You don't know good players. We'll start with good. Yes, I want players that take the basketball and they put it in the hoop and get points. That's the players I want. Yeah, I'm not going to be picky about this. So they don't technically know what they need yet because as of this week, we're recording this on uh, today is Wednesday. As of Wednesday, March nobody on the roster from last season is off the roster. I mean, the seniors are gone, but their spots are going to be filled by freshmen. You're expecting maybe a transfer to out, um, potentially an NBA guy to head out. But as of this week, that hasn't changed yet. So as of right now, they don't have space for a transfer. You don't know what you're, you don't know what you need yet, but you have a good idea what you need. Um, what do you think they need? <laughs> I do think Other than just like, good. I do, yeah, good. Uh, well, I tweeted yesterday Ohio State was trending with Jalen Brown. I would take Jalen Brown. Um, that would be great. Um, I do also like this concept that like since nobody's transferred yet, they don't have any spots, and like they're all sitting in a room like, are you seeing like who Ohio State's reaching out to, and they're like, are you leaving? I'm not leaving. You leaving? I'm not leaving. You leaving? I'm not leaving. But uh, I don't know what I still think guys will transfer out. I've said this stat thirty five times that only nine programs out of the three hundred and fifty some didn't have someone transfer out last year, so it's it's kind of a given. I don't really know what they're waiting on. Last week was spring break. I get that. But, like, now we're already to the middle of the week of the next week. There's just names being added in. There's already guys who know where they're going. You know, J.J. Starling's already going to Syracuse, stuff like that. So, I don't really know what they're waiting on. Um, I I have to assume there are spots to give. But, again, like, you know, we always kind of assumed there were certain guys that, you know, just didn't, like, you know, Eugene Brown, Tanner Holden, those guys that just didn't see a lot of playing time. Uh, that could go elsewhere to get more, but I mean, they haven't announced yet. So by this time last year, I think they'd already got Tanner Holden. So I actually, I was actually looking that up earlier because it I was had to been around this out, time. I was golfing um, when it happened. I can tell you exactly when it was. Uh, it was like April second is when Tanner Holden um, joined the team. So about right, a, so two week and a half to two weeks from now, you're just a little bit ahead, but it's getting close. Because I was wondering earlier, I was like. At what point do I need to look at which guys they're talking to and kind of start writing up articles of like so and so comes to Ohio State, so and so, and it's like probably in the next like week you probably have to start doing yeah. that. Um, I don't want to if you're going to talk about the Ohio State team, I don't want to get off topic, but I was just going to say it seems like if they have a number one target as of right now, it's probably Nick Timberlake. They've already done an in person visit with him. UNC is also in on him, so I think if if you're racing a team, uh, you know a like UNC to a player, um, you probably want to get there first. So UNC, I know people love Ohio State basketball. UNC basketball is more appealing. So um, I would love Nick Timberlake, fantastic player, um, a, kind of an immediate score. I know people at this point for Ohio State fans are very, very, uh, what's the word, hesitant when it comes to mid-major guys because of Cedric Russell and then Tanner Holden hasn't really worked out. Um, but I think Nick Timberlake is pretty much a bona fide scorer in, in any chance. So I don't know. It seems like they're in on him. I, I, I made my I made my opinion very clear on Twitter. I think their best bet is Jameson. Jameson Battle is my dream, but 
That's a great, I mean, that's a great segue to what I was just going to say is I don't completely understand why most of the guys they're talking to right now, unless most of the guys in the portal are just guards and there's not a ton of other guys, other wings, bigger wings that are in the portal. Maybe it's mostly guards right now. I don't know why Ohio State has been linked to as many point guards and two guards as they have and as few like power forward type guys. Because, for example, you said uh, Nick Timberlake from, from, from Towson. Where does he start? Where does he start? He's not, he, he's not, a, a, he's not really a three. He's not really a small forward. He really is a two. And that's where Roddy Gale is going to start. He's obviously not a point guard. So is Nick Timberlake going to transfer somewhere where he's going to come off the bench? Is he going to transfer and play the three as like as like a six four two hundred pounds small forward? Like I don't really see the fit there. Where I do see the fit, I very much see the fit with Jamison Battle, like a six seven two twenty guy that yeah. can play the three, play the four. Yeah, Jamison Battle fits like a glove. I don't understand. I've seen a couple of people say like he doesn't fit on this roster, and like he would just no. He's he fits like a glove. I don't, dude. He is he's a perfect four for them. He's a stretch four. Shoots the three ball at 36% for his career at seven attempts a game. Seven attempts a game. Also That's not a small amount. 36%, 36% should be taken with a grain of salt, too, because I'm pretty sure He's he kind of stunk from three this past season, but the previous three seasons. Yeah, 33%. So, yeah. He was, he was closer to 40 his first three seasons. Um, so, I think that he it would, it would bounce up a little higher than probably 36 if he came to Ohio State. All of his numbers were down this year. So, yeah, yeah, he fits like part of that is being part of that is playing for a terrible Minnesota team where you are one of the only three good players, if all three were even healthy. Um, so you're not going to get a ton of open looks when you're on such a horrible team and you're like one of the first guys that the other team is planning to stop. Yeah, I do think Timberlake probably could play the three, just depending on how they play him at the three. But um, I also think. I don't, you know, it's 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 a little bit like a, it's not a, it's not an apples and apples comparison to like a Sean McNeil, but I do think, like McNeil seemed very willing to either come off the bench or be a starter. Obviously, we saw him do both. Um, I I don't I don't know that I can't speak for him. Obviously, I don't know Nick Timberlake, but I I think as long as he's playing a good amount of minutes, I don't think guys, you know if. Guys tend to be willing to accept that role of coming off the bench if they're playing for a better team. So, um, I don't know. It, it's an interesting concept because you have to assume, especially if Sensabaugh ends up coming back, right, which is a very small possibility. But I would say, especially with whatever his injury is, is, is a possibility. Um, you feel like the three, is, the, the one, two, three is set. Thorn, Gale, Sensabaugh. Um, and then the five is set too, whether it's Key or Akpara. So you don't really know you you're wanting to bring in impact transfers, but at the same time you kind of really only have one spot to put them, and that's at the four. So I, it's it's it'll be really interesting to kind of see, maybe depending on, I don't want to say they're going for depth because that's what they always do, and, and guys just tend to not really work out when you do that. But um, you know, even like a a a Cleef Dunn is a good example, or Cleef Battle, sorry, um. You know, he's a he's an 18, 19 point per game scorer from Temple. Is he gonna come off the bench? Maybe Roddy Gale comes off the bench. I don't know. You know, but then you risk losing Roddy Gale. So it's it's a 
coaches really that's, walk. That's it's it's a deal. it's a tight rope that you walk as a coach nowadays in, with the transfer portal era because guys can just go. They just, I mean, Kirk Creasa hit the transfer portal today. Why the hell is Kirk Creasa transferring? You're a starting point guard on one of the best teams in the country. Where are you gonna go? But he answered the transfer portal. So I, I don't know. It's it's you you run a really tight risk of losing pretty much anybody at any given time. But you can't really coach that way because yeah. you've got to coach for the best options, you know? It, it's it's a very interesting I, I would not want to be a coach right now. I understand why Jay Wright retired. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Yeah, I mean if I I don't know. In, in my opinion, if you're gonna go after an impact player, a guy that you're like, I need you to score 10, 12 points a game. It needs to be like a small forward or a power forward for Ohio State. It, it shouldn't be a, a guard. People might disagree, and you kind of you kind of led that. I think the four is a given. You have to. You kind of like four. pointed that out. You're like, if you get a guard, then you could lose. You know, you you get a guard that's really good. You bump Roddy Gale to the bench. I don't know. Do you lose Roddy Gale? You can't really. You can't really approach the transfer portal and acquiring new players with the fear of losing other players. But in my opinion, you have your your two starting guards and Bruce Thornton and Roddy Gale. So. You don't need to go get a 20-point-per-game scorer at guard. You need to get a 13- or 14-point-per-game scorer at, like, small forward or power forward. And maybe maybe your final portal addition, maybe your final person that you add if you have space is, like, a veteran guard that can come in and play, like, 15 minutes per game behind Thornton and Taysen yeah. Chapman and Roddy Gale. A Jimmy Soto's type. It, yeah, right. Something similar. Because yeah. for, and, for for his role, I thought Jimmy Soto's was was fine for our state. I thought he did a good job. And you kind of mentioned it. You know, not breaking any news here. And at this and at this point, I think people kind of know if somebody's gonna leave, it's probably gonna be one of these guys. You're looking at like you're looking at like maybe Gene Brown, which Gene Brown's a really good player who has who's gonna who's a very valuable piece off the bench for any team. But I don't know if he is good enough to start in the Big Ten. And if you're Gene Brown and you've already played three years and you see the guys that are coming in behind you and you didn't even start on the 13th place team in the Big Ten, you're looking at your role. What's your role for the rest of your college career? Does Gene, is Gene Brown okay playing a role for Ohio State and hopefully winning games off the bench? Or does he say, hey, I want to be a starter somewhere for my last two years of eligibility. I'm going to transfer somewhere else where I can start. That's going to be his decision if he thinks that he should be starting somewhere or he's looking for a better opportunity to play more. Might not be at Ohio State. Like you said, Tanner Holden, <laughs> you, you registered like eight did not plays down the stretch for the 13th place team in the Big Ten. Um, I know that his position opens up a little bit, you know, where he could maybe slide into the starting three. But are you frustrated enough with how that season ended for a bad team that you're like, yeah, I'll stick out another year? I, I don't know. I'm kind of skeptical. Um, Bowen Hardman. And I, and I will say, I like, don't think he's ever going to play for Ohio State. With all due respect, I don't think he'll ever be in the rotation at Ohio State. Yeah, it's it's the benefit. It's it's the the give and take you have when you have when you're bringing in really good recruiting classes, right? I love the recruiting class to bring in next year, but you just kind of start to play with the numbers, and you're like, okay. Three, probably, maybe four. Austin Parks, I don't really know. But at least three of these guys are going to play minutes next year, right? Scotty Middleton and Devin Royal might be starting. I don't know. Tayson Chapman's almost guaranteed to come off the bench, but he damn near might be the best of all of them, so you got to get him in the rotation. So those guys are going to play. 
Well, if you're a guy like Bo and Hardman, you you look at it and you're like, okay, when am when do I kind of fit into this? Especially this year, when you look at they didn't redshirt him, so he could have played at any point, and he it, and he didn't play even when they were like at the most desperate of their lineups trying to figure stuff out. So that's right. Like all those young guys are going to slide in front of Bowen Hardman. I'm even 2024 looking at, at Junie Mobley. Like he's probably going to play right. right away. He's like Steph Curry. The kid shoots the freaking hell out of the ball. So where's the opportunity for Bowen Hardman to to be a playmaker for Ohio State as you look forward? you don't see an opportunity over the next three years that he probably would ever break into that rotation. So again, it's going to be the decision on the kid. Are you okay being a low end role player for a program that you think is going to win games? Or do you say, Hey, I'm going to transfer somewhere else because I feel like I should be getting more PT um, right now. Same with Kalen Etzler. That's somebody that I don't know about you, but I thought Kalen Etzler was going to get more run this year. He didn't get more run this year. He was my preseason X factor. <laughs> Oops. Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> it's like when Devin Royal and Scotty Middleton get there, they're both going to slide right in front of Kalen Etzler around the depth chart immediately. So if you're Kalen, you look forward, you say, where's the opportunity? When does my opportunity open up? If all these guys that are younger than me are already ahead of me, maybe we're putting the cart before the horse. Uh, by saying that, I don't think it is. I think that Devin Royal and Scotty Middleton will get more opportunities than Kalen Etzler if they're all on the same team. Do you decide that there are other opportunities elsewhere to play more? Or are you like, hey, if I only play in 10 games, but I'm part of a, a great program that I think is going to win games, I want to stay here. That's the decision you have to make. But those are kind of the guys that you're looking at like, hey, any day now, if one of these guys pops up and says, I'm going to look elsewhere, you don't, you shouldn't be shocked. You know, you know, it's funny to me. Next year, and I, I'm not predicting this as a starting lineup. I don't think this will be the starting lineup. I hope this isn't the starting lineup. But there's a chance the starting lineup next year, small chance, but a chance, is Bruce Thorne, Roddy Gale, Devin Royal, Scotty Middleton, Felix Akbar. There's a chance. I don't think it is, but there's a chance. Um, that's three sophomores and two freshmen. And there's a lot of people that think next year is like the year for Ohio State. Like this window isn't closing. You know what I mean? I, I've always I've said it a couple of times. I'll say it again. I'm really excited for 2024. I think they'll be good next year. Don't get me wrong. And they can't have a season like this year. Like they can't repeat this year next year. That can't happen. That's it's not just not the bar at Ohio State. But 2024, this team could be really, really good. Like incredibly good if they don't lose anybody, any of these sophomores or freshmen. So it is just funny to me because everyone's like, oh man, 2023 setting up like they could be really good. And it's like they could be starting three sophomores and two freshmen. So I, you know, I mean, they could three very talented sophomores and two very talented freshmen. But nevertheless, it's a young team. Yeah, I mean, they could. But in my opinion, if you yeah, are, if, if they get lineup. to November, right? Exactly. If they get to November and they're looking at that starting lineup, Something I think wrong. that you have a problem because I, I don't think that. Yeah, I don't think that that starting lineup. It would be fun. They would be a fun group, but they're not going to win games at the level that I think that I think Chris Holtman needs to win games this year to get the heat off of his back and to release some of the pressure of, you know, hey, he knows, the people in the program know. I don't want to say Chris Holtman said it himself, but like people within that program know that if this last season is replicated next year, he's he's probably gone. Like he's off. Like at that point, Ohio State probably would just bite the bullet, pay the buyout, and move on. And and they pretty much know that. 
Um, so I think like, that's why with the portal and you said good, like that's honestly a, a really good way to put it. Like no more searching for niche characteristics, no more mm-hmm. searching for like, this guy might only score four points a game for us, but he brings leadership. He's really aggressive on defense. Like that's, that's cute. They need to get a transfer that's going to give them 12 points a game. Yeah. That's I, what they need. <laughs> it, it's weird because there's a concept that Ohio state's always missed on the portal. I think that's just a lot more recency bias. I think C.J. Walker was fantastic for them. I think Keyshawn Woods was, I would say, fantastic, but good for them. I'd say Jamari Wheeler, Jamari Wheeler was, was, good. Fa- was was good. Like, he did what he had to do. Again, Jamari Wheeler was brought in with the assumption he'd be playing next to Dwayne Washington. That always threw them off. That was it's a given. Sean, Mc- Sean McNeil was good. Sean McNeil Sean was McNeil fine was, uh, this was... year. If somebody asked us, I think, um, a couple weeks ago in our comments, my apologies, I forget who, said – if you put together since Holman got to Ohio State the top fifty transfers in the Big Ten, how many would he have? And the implication was he'd have none or sure. one. I'm like, first of all, the Big Ten hasn't had that many incredible transfers. Like Penn State might have the best of all of them. Uh, maybe Maryland, um, maybe Michigan State, just with the way Tyson Walker and Joey Hauser are playing right now. But I'd say probably is four or five to be honest. Keyshawn Woods, C.J. Walker, Sean McNeil, maybe Jamari Wheeler, like. Depending, it's a very subjective question, but um, I'd say he probably has four. He could have four or five. So I, I think they've been fine with the transfer portal. Again, last year I give him I give him a pass last year because just with all the Dwayne Washington stuff, I think it really threw them off. And this year, um, you know, I thought Sean McNeil was okay. I don't. I'm not going to sit here and speculate on what happened with Tanner Holden, um, but I think that's just two kind of weird years in a row. But I would agree this year you got to hit. You got there's just too many, there's too many fucking names. Like there's just too many good players. It went kind of under the radar that Puff Johnson just entered the transfer portal. That's a five star whose brother is in the NBA. Like Puff Johnson is an incredible player. Go get Puff Johnson. Like go, one of those guys. Like Jameson Battle right now is ranked twelfth out of transfers. That's incredible. Like he is a very 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 good player. So there's a lot of players in the transfer portal. Just go get a couple. Please, yeah. Jamison Battle's got a little bit of like, he's got a little bit of like a gunner in him, where like he might have some games where he goes like. Well, yeah, seven threes nine. a game is a lot. You're gonna have a couple battles. Yeah, he might have a game where he goes like one for nine, and seven of those shots are from three, and he ends up with like six points. But he's also gonna mix in a handful of games throughout the season where he goes like. 8 of 13, and he scores like 26 points. He is a transfer that will win you games. He will win you games. Yeah. That's what they've lacked. They've lacked a transfer that will win I'd rather have a guy that scores – I'd rather have a guy that's capable of scoring 25 a handful of times and maybe sputters out a couple times than a guy that averages like 8 points a game. Um, They need a guy that they can – I was just going to say, to give people context, Sean McNeil is considered a sharp shooting three-point shooter. He averaged 4.7 three-pointer attempts in his career. Jameson Battle's at seven. That's so many. He's a shooter. So, you know, he's going to be he, – he would be hypothetically a guy that, you know, he is going to probably hang out around the perimeter most of the time. He's a big guy, though. So he's not built like Sean. He's not built like Justin Arns. He's like 6'7", 215. You'd be surprised he's a three-point shooter if you don't watch him. So he's a lefty. He gives you a little bit of a different look. He, again, is going to – he's going to command at least one defender – um, on the perimeter that could open up the key a little bit um, for guys like Zed and and Felix. I would be surprised if he stays in conference. I'd be a little surprised, but that's I, the thing. And, a, and the, from looking at Minnesota's Twitter, 
like fan reaction. It seemed like the consensus with him was that he was going overseas just to start playing professionally. So I don't know if he's even going to transfer. He might just go. He might just play professionally. I don't know. But the thing about Jameson Battles, he is exactly what you said. He'd be playing in conference. You're not taking a risk on a mid-major guy who might not be able to get to the Big Ten and play. Like, James Battle has played these teams his entire career, right? Um, it's, 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 Jameson, it's, it's Jameson Battle cost me Jameson Battle cost me some money this year. I, I bet against Minnesota a handful of times where some Jameson Battle last-second shots. Rutgers. Burnt. Jameson Battle kind of unrelated, the tournament. But, James about not yeah, yeah. So, I, I would love to get him. My, my, I've told you, I told you before this though. My dream is dead. My dream was that they had a Jameson battle and Seth Lundy. I thought Seth Lundy would. Tra- he had one year left. I thought he'd transfer because Penn State's going to be pretty bad next year. Um, but Seth Lundy entered the draft today, so never mind. And that kind of it kind of rolls over to the uh, status of Bryce Sensabaugh as well, just because you know that. There is a knee injury that he suffered at the end of the Big Ten tournament. It doesn't look like it's anything I, – I, I don't know. I'm not a doctor, so I could be wrong. But um, it doesn't sound like it's anything crazy like a torn meniscus or like a torn ACL that would be like, oh, out for 10 months or something. But um, he's got a hurt knee. You don't know how quickly he can get back to full strength to like potentially work out at like the combine. So I think everybody – Pretty much everybody is expecting that any day now, any hour, literally like by the time this is out, he could have already put an announcement out. He's going to put out the announcement that he is entering the draft and that he will withhold his eligibility until the deadline and then make a decision. Um, Because if the knee is something that is actually kind of serious where maybe he can't work out at the combine, maybe he slides from like a mid first round pick to an early second round pick. And then at that point, he probably would have to choose, you know, to going back to Ohio State to play one more year to reassure people that, yeah, I am a, I'm a lottery pick. I am still that guy. Um, if it's that serious of a knee injury, um, that's, that's lingering. But I would, the, only, the only thing that I would be blown away by with an announcement from Bryce Sensible is if he announces, I'm not even going to the draft, I'm coming back. Like, I would be blown away if that happened. Right, and and to be clear, this isn't like us like breaking news or anything. This is just what makes the most sense because there is no downside to putting your name into the draft. You can always come back to school if you want to. You get the feedback from NBA people. You can talk to NBA teams. It's there's no downside to it. So, not this isn't saying like if he announces he's going to the draft, that isn't like okay, we're done. It could be, but it's not like you know that's that's not the end all be all. He could still come back, as we saw with EJ Liddell. We've seen we've seen it go both ways, right? We saw EJ Liddell. We thought he was gone. Combine didn't go exactly where we wanted it to. Didn't get the feedback he wanted. Came back. Dwayne Washington. We were like, oh, he's just entering his name. Getting feedback, he'll come back. He balled out of the combine. Boom, gone. So we've seen it go both ways. Um, I think Malachi entered last year with more of the impression he was staying in, but you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, I don't like you said. It, it's hard to really tell depending if this injury is more serious and he can't really do some stuff with the combine that could be a factor i have no idea again strictly speculation i have no idea how how bad his injury is so we'll see yeah i mean we were talking about this we talked about this uh before we started recording too you can let's say hypothetically it doesn't sound like it's a serious injury but let's say hypothetically his he tore his meniscus or something and he's out for like 10 months he probably would still enter the draft because even if he's on crutches he can still 
do go over film, do interviews, talk to NBA scouts, talk to NBA coaches about film from last season. He could enter the draft and talk to the NBA scouts, coaches, what have you, about the parts of his game that need work. And then he would probably pull his name back out. But like, I don't know. I guess the point of me saying that is like, I don't really see any scenario where his announcement is, I'm not going to mess with the draft. I don't want to talk to NBA scouts and coaches and get feedback. I'm, I'm back. Like, even if the knee is horrible, he'll probably still go to the go to the draft. They'll say, you need to work on this stuff. Um, listen, with the knee, you probably now are like a second round pick, hypothetically. You're like a second round-ish pick now. If we know you're hurt, um, you might want to go back. And he would say, okay, I appreciate it. I'm back. Um, I just don't really see a scenario where he just decides not to even dip his toes in. Yep, and um, with that little transfer, um, Michael Shrewsbury has left the Big Ten. Pain. Absolute misery. We are a pro-Penn State that podcast. Sucks. If you listen to us, you know that. We were first that ones. So I, I would say I, I don't want to say this is a fact or anything, but if I think we were the first people in the world that said Penn State was going to make the tournament. Um, we were there I don't know everybody in the world, but uh, I think we were definitely on the – at least – we were at least driving the train um, and they did make the tournament and they won a game, which we both predicted they would. Correct. I definitely did. did they you? almost won two games. They almost they made the sweet 16. I had them beating Texas. I thought they were going to beat Texas. I did not have them beating Texas, um, but they, they almost beat lead. Texas on, they had, they on had a cold shooting three day. Three minutes left. Yeah. On a cold shooting day. And actually, if we want to look back, um, I actually predicted the Texas game exactly how it would go, which was the guards wouldn't beat them. The forwards would Dylan Dissu had the best game of his career. So, not to toot my own horn, but toot toot. And um, what were we talking about? Oh, uh, Michael Shrewsbury is going to uh, Notre Dame for a shit ton of money, by the way. A shit ton of money. Um, so Notre Dame is investing in their basketball program. Not their football program, but they're investing in their basketball program. Never forget. I'll never forget that Penn State team. That that program is about to – I feel like a Penn State fan. My best friend growing up is a Penn State alum, and I text him after like every Penn State game. I'm like, our boys did it. He's like, Ohio State won? I was yeah, like, that's, that's, not, that's right. not what I'm talking about. No. He said, no, not my Buckeyes. My Nittany Lions did it. Yeah, no, not. <laughs> He's like, oh, Kent State. No, no, no. Penn, Penn State. No, 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 no. Uh, that's, I, that do wanna, I do want to apologize on behalf of my Kent State Golden Flashes. Um, they just didn't show up. There's no other way to word that. Indiana looked pretty. Yeah. It, it sucked because for me it was a win-win. It was a win-win-win, honestly, because it was either – in, out, in the Sweet 16 out of that bracket was either Indiana, which was a Big Ten, in, in my head at least, which was like a Big Ten team, all right, whatever, you know, Big Ten, Big Ten represent. Or it was Drake, which is always a fun little, you know, Cinderella, or Kent State, another Cinderella, you know, my, my alum. Unfortunately, Miami came out of the uh, bracket and it looked pretty good, to be honest. Yeah, uh, they looked. Indiana, Indiana looked pretty darn good. TJ looked pretty darn good in that first game against Kent State. They, man, they did not look great against Miami, but I guess that's what tells you, you know, guards win in the tournament. Uh, Miami's, a, they are just a bunch of guards, really. Um, Indiana has one good guard. Miami had three. And uh, guards usually went out in that tournament. They kind of turned into a dead body in the last, like, 10 minutes of that Indiana Miami game, which was kind of sad to watch because I like TJD. I like watching TJD. Oops, sorry. Um, yeah, yeah, that was a uh, it was tough on Kent State. I really thought they'd win, and they did not. We got a couple other coaching carousels. So 
I guess we can close it up with the other two noteworthy coaching carousel uh, uh, moves. I don't know which one is more scandalous, uh, more interesting. They're both Big East. We, I, I love the Big East. We love the Big East. We love St. John's. So we have our St. John's update. Um, Slick Rick Patino is back in the Big East. He's going to St. John's from Iona. And then the FDU coach, Tobin Anderson, took the Iona job. So shout out to Tobin Anderson. Um, but yeah, Rick Patino. Back at St. John's, back in the Big East. We had Mark Titus on this show like a year and a half ago and said, why should Louisville hire Rick Pitino? And he's actually in a much better spot. Yeah. Um, I, it, it was funny because when this went official, I was like, yeah, that's happened. that happened a while ago. But it only happened a while ago in my head. I forgot that it had actually happened officially and Iona was like playing in the tournament. Um, but yeah, shout out to Rick Pitino. I hope nobody clips that because that sounds weird. But um you know, St. John's is going to be better off for it. He's a great coach. I think that's pretty undeniable. So our St. John's updates Cooley, might get a little more interesting too. Equally, Cooley's a little bit closer to, a little closer to where you grew up. A little closer there. He's uh, flipping from Providence to Georgetown there in DC. Which I don't know. That was he must have really just wanted to be at a bigger brand because Georgetown is kind of in shambles. But it's just a little. It's a little sleazy, kind of how it went down, taking a different job in conference. He's not really making that much more money um, at Georgetown. And I'm pretty sure he either grew up in Providence or spent most of his adult life in Providence. Um, he basically like always puffed his chest like, this is my program. This is my city. This is, you know, this is our program, blah, blah, blah. And then like, boom, like two days after they lose in the tournament, he gone. Yeah, I'll say this. Georgetown, I don't know if I said this on this pod or to someone else. Georgetown is not a it's, – it's a very simple job. It's not an easy job, but it's very simple. Get the DMV. You get the DMV. If you just recruit the DMV, you will, you will have success at Georgetown. It's just hard to get the DMV because you, you so many teams come in and try to take players and you're dealing with Maryland and Virginia and stuff. So, But that's that's the – you get the DMV. That's what you do at Georgetown. Probably one of the, other than like, you know, Texas, California, probably one of the like the richest uh, areas in the country as far as high level high school recruits comes from that Maryland, Virginia area, the East Coast. There's so many great players come out of that area. And like you said, if you're a school like a Georgetown or Maryland, we'll see if Kevin Willard, um, what he does in that. Um, you know, as the head coach of Maryland, now that he'll have his first full swing recruiting the area, if you don't grab some of the great talent that comes out of that area, you're never going to get that program off the ground. I grew up right on the line of Prince George's County and Charles County, probably about 45 minutes from Georgetown. Um, in Prince George's County since 2002, 37 people have come from there to go to the, the NBA or WNBA, including Kevin Durant. So. Let's just say I quit basketball at a very young age. Full 13. <laughs> um, 14. But yeah, like I said, a lot of, lot, of, lot of stuff going on. Coaches flipping jobs. Coaches are still flipping jobs. When this comes out, there will be more coaches changing jobs. Transfer portal's popping. I think it's like over 600 Division One players from the transfer portal right now already. Tournament's not even over. Ohio State hasn't lost a single transfer yet. We're expecting they probably will lose at least one transfer and probably an NBA draftee. All this is going on, and we still have the Sweet 16 this weekend. So that's what's up. 
we love that. Uh, I think that's all we got on the men's side. So we'll go ahead and close this down before we get into some women's hoops. Thank you for listening to our episode this week. Um, if you have not already, make sure to also subscribe on Spotify, Apple Music, Stitcher, whatever you get your music and podcasts on. Um, just go ahead and search the Land Grant Podcast Network, and that is where you will find our feed. And you can find us on Twitter at Bucketheads LGPN. Um, that is that's Land Grant Podcast Network. It's Bucketheads LGPN. Tweet you through some. Of, I've been trying to retweet and quote tweet some of the uh, transfer portals and stuff. We'll try to get someone on here yeah, soon that is more clued into the transfer. You're retweeting portal. like everything you're retweeting like every single transfer. Yes. Yeah, correct. literally every single. I retweeted Kirk Reese today, and I was hoping someone would be like, "Why would he come to Ohio State?" <laughs> like, I'm not saying he is. I'm just he entered the transfer portal, so I'm gonna retweet it. I want, I want nothing to do with Kirk Reese. Oh God, no! Me I either. want nothing. I want losing nothing. Bruce Thornton minutes <laughs> to Kirk Reese minutes sounds like a nightmare to me. Yeah, if, if Ohio State some for some reason adds Kirk Risa, I I don't even know what I would do. I might just become a Penn State. Never mind. All right. We we interviewed uh, so we had Thomas Costello back on. Basically our third co-host at this point. Yes, if you have been living under a rock, the Ohio State women's basketball team, trademark, um, is headed to the Sweet Sixteen. They knocked off James Madison in the first round after trailing by I think three at halftime. They fell behind by a bunch and came back, beat James Madison. Um, and then, like you just said, they beat North Carolina in the second round. Uh, shout out to Jason Sheldon with the buzzer beater with a second remaining to push them to the Sweet 16, where they're going to get a rematch with UConn. I shouldn't say rematch. They're going to get a matchup with UConn and a rematch with Dorka Juhas, Ohio State's former best player from two years ago who transferred to UConn. So that's going to be a fun juicy matchup in Seattle on Saturday broadcast on ABC. Thomas is going to be there. So we had him on again this week to uh, talk about the Buckeyes chances here in the Sweet 16. So um, thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for sticking with us. But without further ado, here's our conversation with one Thomas Costello. All right, we are back with Mr. Thomas Costello, our women's basketball writer here at Lane Grant Holy Land. Thomas is headed to Seattle this weekend to see the Buckeyes take on Big Bad UConn in the Sweet 16 after they knocked off James Madison in the first round after an early scare. And then they beat North Carolina at the buzzer in the second round to advance to their second consecutive Sweet 16. So, Thomas, uh, the challenge is going to step up considerably this week. Am I wrong or am I right? Uh, yeah, that's the, that's the writing on the wall is that UConn is going to be um, at a different level than um, the competition that Ohio State has faced up to this point. I think the closest you can look at is um, Indiana or Iowa. I mean, that's the closest that you get. Uh, Ohio State has played teams like Tennessee and Louisville who are both now in the Sweet 16 also, but they were considerably different teams back when Ohio State played them. So yeah, UConn's going to be um, it's going to be big. So I have not watched much. I, okay. That's why I haven't watched any UConn games this year. I have been a strictly a, for women's basketball, I've been strictly Ohio state and basically big 10 basketball. Is there a chink in the armor somewhere for UConn? Is there something you can point at and say, they're not great at 
A, B, or C. There's a matchup here that Ohio State can exploit maybe. Is is there anything that you can point out and say there's a – I can see a path – see a path is a bad phrase, but I can kind of see a path there where things could go right because UConn lacks in this area or they're out of starter. I don't know what their health status mm-hmm. is, their injury status, things like that. Um, I will say uh, Her Hoop Stats is a, a website that does a lot of great stuff there like an independent site that uh, does their own statistics for women's college basketball, WNBA and all that before the bracket began, before the tournament began, they talked about UConn and UConn this season is in the bottom 10th percentile when they face a press. So that, um, that by itself. Okay. is something that's beneficial. The, the beacon of light. I think Ohio state fans can look for is is that because UConn they're they're a team that's going to play you know four out one in Aaliyah Edwards is going to be inside the paint and they are I mean they're coached by Gino Oriyama they've won 11 national championships they're pretty good uh they they know what they're they, they know what they're good at and they perform it well also their turnovers they are second in the Big East, allowing 16 – or they have 16.5 turnovers per game. And this is for an Ohio State team that pushes uh, – I think they're right now around, I want to say 18, 18 to 19, they force per game. Um, and for a good long while, Ohio State was in the turnover so uh, ratio number one in the country. Uh, so I, I think that if there's going to be something – it's it's going to be that. What um so when you're looking at this Ohio State team, obviously they've kind of made it a little bit of a I don't want to say a pattern, but they have a knack for maybe getting behind early and then coming back like the James Madison. You know, I'm a Cavs fan. We call it a Cavalanche mm-hmm. whenever they they're able to really string together <laughs> points. It's similar. It feels like this Ohio State women's team has a similar thing of like they're down ten. You go to the bathroom, you come back, they're up six, and you're like, what in the god? What the hell just happened? <laughs> Can they yeah. do that against UConn, though? Do, do they have to have a good first quarter? They can't have a first quarter like they did against James Madison, or a first half like they did. They can't do that. They went down 16 points to James Madison. The 24 points they went down to Indiana, them coming back should not happen. Like That just should not happen against Iowa, although Iowa just lost to Miami the other night. So maybe there's some merit in Ohio state or in Indiana and maybe not being as good as people thought they were. Um, there's no official phrase. Maybe we need to come up with a phrase for when the Buckeyes go on that full court press. I like, thought about it. The entire North Carolina game and I couldn't, I came up with nothing. So if you have anything, feel free. Oh, uh, okay. Um, Something with McGuff in it, because I think just, I was trying to McGuff I was trying to do I was trying to some with McGuff, and I I just I was blank. Okay, so um, we'll, we'll think, think about, about it. it. Maybe if folks listen, they can. It's a long plane ride. It's a long plane ride to Seattle. So I know, right? I got, I, and I'm not paying for the Wi-Fi. I'm I'm cheap on go. the Wi-Fi, so I'll have a lot of time to think. Um, I think Ohio State they can't go they can't go down like that. No, for sure they have to. They have to make some early shots. That's what gets them. Because when they don't make early shots, I said this last time we were talking, they just kind of slump a little bit. It seems like their body language slumps. Against UNC, they were making shots. 
and they went up 12 they went up 10 points unc fought back but they didn't lose the lead they went up 12 points usa fought back but they only got a two-point lead which ohio state cleaned up within a minute so it's not i think ohio state's road this year and i was thinking about it as i was watching indiana as i've been watching teams lose in the in the march madness which this year for the women more parody than i would say yeah actually ever (laughs) one one seeds are not supposed to drop like this um you could argue that stanford i i would make the argument that stanford should not have been a one seed because they lost in the second round of the pac-12 tournament they lost to a unranked washington husky side uh in in conference play they were on the downhill towards the end of the season indiana was the biggest shock and i think indiana the reason they lost and the reason ohio state came back against them is they haven't faced a lot of adversity this year indiana wasn't a team that went down a lot they weren't a team that struggled. They only lost, I think, two, three games in the entire regular season. They had a close game against Iowa where Caitlin Clark stunned them at the end, but that was a close game. Same thing with Iowa. I wouldn't be shocked if Iowa is a little upset at, at a two seed because they've come back from, I think, one deficit. It was nine points. They came back from a nine-point deficit, and that nine points was in the first quarter, I think, against Nebraska. Iowa, whenever they go down, I mean, they almost lost to Georgia the other day. When Iowa goes down, they don't really, unless Caitlin Clark's doing it, they don't really have the fight, it seems, to come back in those games. So Ohio State kind of has a benefit because they've, <laughs> they've gone down so much. I know it sounds not like a, a very great thing to do, but talking to the players, especially uh, today, I asked Cody McMahon, how did losing games, how has that helped the team now? And her response was uh, pretty much, you know, we've gone down so much this year that it doesn't really phase them anymore. When they were down against JMU, they said after the game, like, no, we weren't panicked. People were like, oh, Kevin McGuff must have yelled at him in the lot. He didn't yell at them at a timeout in the locker room. They're just a team that is confident that they're never out of the game. So if they avoid something like the Big Ten title game, the Big Ten tournament title game, where they go down 37, that's it's over. It's over. So first question will lead into the second question. And I asked you this at the very beginning of the season when we talked about the women's team. We'll see if the answer is the same. Yeah, we'll see if the answer is the exact same. So we talked at the beginning of the season. We said this is a team that, that might struggle on the glass a little bit, but kind of your response was, Hey, the way that they play, they want to press, they want to go up and down. They're kind of giving, they're kind of giving up the rebounds. Like they're, they're, that's not the priority. It's getting it and going and pressing. And when you're doing that at that pace and you're pressing, you're kind of just seeing that you're not going to be a great rebounding team. UConn has, so UConn has three players that would all be the leading rebounder if they played at Ohio State. Um, yeah. is, that a, is, is that a cause for concern? Or is it kind of the same answer that you said back in October, which is maybe, but you kind of make up for it if you're also forcing 19 turnovers? It has to be. It has to be close. It it has to like rebounding. They can't get out rebounded by 20 or something like that and expect to win because that also means that their shots aren't falling because most of those rebounds are going to come on the defensive side of the ball. 
So I right, yeah, that's that's what I was thinking. If they're completely out rebounded, I think it's going to be hard to do. Whenever they are down, like, and we saw that against Indiana, and even to an extent in the second half against Iowa in that title game, they outscored Iowa in the second half, but also Iowa's up thirty-seven points. I think that UConn, if they out rebound them that much, no, it's going to be a long day for Ohio State. Ohio State's negative two in rebounding margin. Um, and like you said, Taylor theory, she, I think she averages 6.8 rebounds, 6.9 rebounds a game, maybe it got up to seven. Um, UConn, I mean, Dorka Juhas herself, she has, I think 11 or something a game. Aliyah Edwards, I don't have her stats right in front of me, but I wouldn't be shocked if hers is somewhere in like the eight to nine. So Dork is at Dork is at nine point nine. Aaliyah Edwards is at nine, and Aubrey Griffin is at six point seven. Uh, Taylor Theory is at six point six. Oh, it dropped a little bit. Okay, um, I thought maybe I was looking at uh, older statistics. Maybe uh, ESPN said something different for Dorka, but maybe that was a few days ago. Um, yeah, it, it's going to be hard to stop them. The best way to stop them is to make your shots. <laughs> I mean, that's. If Ohio State has good shots, that they can not be overcome by the moment, because after the game against UNC, Cody McMahon was very open about wanting to play UConn and how this is something that she's always wanted to do before the season even started. She's like, I want to play UConn. Um, if they can get over the moment of, hey, oh, wow, this is UConn, you know, and the aura around them, and they can make well, they can play their basketball first, they can get open, and they can make shots. Uh, I don't think the rebounding will be as big of a problem. Ebony Walker, she had a really good game on Monday, uh, her strongest game as a Buckeye. If that continues, that's awesome. And also Taylor Theory against UNC was really off. Uh, I don't know if watching the game, uh, if you noticed, she just wasn't herself on Monday. After the game, she was pretty emotional too. Not like, yeah, we won, but like upset. I think she was frustrated at herself because of her performance. So considering they beat UNC with Taylor Theory having an off night, um, if she comes back against UConn, that's that's really going to help. And then, so on this on this podcast, me and Justin, if we are one thing, um, we are sluts for the plot. We love when the plot plays out to make a great story. And I think that facing Dorka Juhas in the, in the Sweet 16 after she played at OSU for three years – was a very, very good player for OSU for three years. Um, that's like the perfect plot line to run into the Sweet 16. And I would like to know, and I'm sure Justin is also dying to know, what you can share, because I never heard it. Why do you think, or what did Dorka say, or why did Dorka end up leaving OSU when she was getting such consistent minutes and playing so well at OSU to go to UConn, other than the obvious, maybe you want, you just, you want to win a title, but she was also playing so well at OSU. And is it really like, is maybe the plot not as thick as it seems? It's not a revenge game. It's not a, we don't like her because she dipped, you know, right when the program was turning. Um, That's, would love your take on just that situation and if maybe the plot is actually as thick and interesting as maybe it seems from the outside. Also, Thomas, feel feel free to make something up to, to push a narrative here if you'd like. <laughs> if it's not, if it's not, yeah, if it's not a fun story, then lie. Yeah, um, for sure. Okay. 
what kind of lie can I come up with? <laughs> um, <laughs> let me think of the lie, but here's what I've read. I don't have any insider knowledge. She left before the beginning of last season. Um, and, and some would say, oh, because, you know, the the sanctions against the team. But, I mean, she already played through the season where they couldn't be in the postseason. So it felt kind of weird. If you were going to leave, right, wouldn't you leave the year that you're not able to play postseason basketball? In interviews, Dorka said it was strictly for basketball reasons. She just wanted to grow, I guess, and going to Gina Oriema. I mean, if you're going to go to a coach to learn new stuff, Gina's probably not a bad coach uh, to go to in that situation. I mean, and also asking Kevin McGuff, although we know that a coach is not going to, especially Kevin McGuff, is not going to spill any tea. He's not going to say anything about it. Um, He's like, she's a great player. And it's going to be, you know, great playing against her. J.C. Sheldon's like, I'm really excited. It's going to be fun playing against her. It seems like everybody has a positive thought around it. Um, I think some – I know I think about it watching Ohio State some games, how much different the team would be if she had stayed with Ohio State. Um, whenever you consider that the Buckeyes – big weakness is post presence that would have been uh imagining her on the team last year they get past the sweet 16 easily they lose to texas by three points if she's playing it's a whole different kind of thing um making up a story i i know connecticut is closer (laughs) to hungary than columbus is so maybe she just really hates she hates connecting flights so she's like you know what i'm already flying into hartford a lot so I'm just gonna go to Connecticut. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, not not as as I, it's not as yeah. juicy You're as I. It's not as juicy as I hoped. It was just. It's just interesting, and it's interesting and and a little peculiar, just because you do see uh, good players at underachieving. Like Power Five teams will do that. Um, I guess, right. but like Ohio State has been for the, since pretty much since McGuff got there, save for a couple years they have been a pretty steady, like a, a pretty steady program. So for her to, to leave when she is essentially the face of that program at the time, I guess if you're going to leave to go to another program, UConn is always going to be a step up regardless of where no. you're moving from. Um, it was just, you no. don't see that super often that from that type of program to another program when the one program you're leaving is already doing pretty well. I don't know. Yeah. And you go to a team that has won, their conference and conference tournament. I think like it was up to seven or eight times in a row whenever she came over there. So I, it could be, you know, I'm going to finish my college career and I want to do it somewhere where I'm competing at the highest level. I, from talking to players and looking at like who transferred out of Ohio state last year, none of the big players have transferred out. I think Dorka's ceiling maybe was just higher than what she could get out of the system if that makes sense. Um, I think she, I generally believe whenever she said she just wanted to grow in basketball, that going to UConn, going to UConn would do that, obviously. Yeah. So I don't know anything. If I find out anything, I'll I'll keep my, um, I'll keep my ears open when I'm in Seattle and see if I can eavesdrop on some uh, conversations from folks. Because at these games, by the way, after, you know, you've all been to the games and you've covered basketball games. When the stakes get higher, there are outlets that you never see who are all out there <laughs> trying to get uh, a slice of the slice of the pie. So uh, maybe I'll 
listen in on an athletic report or something and see what they've got. They've always got something juicy, right? Oh yeah. The athletic, if there's a story, the athletic will find it. Or again, they might just make it up. Um, just kidding. Actually, I'm not, I'm not questioning their credibility. I thought just kidding, but I'm going to question one thing. The athletic said, Ooh, uh, and I'm not going can. after media outlets. Um, they did, say JC Sh- <laughs> they did say J.C. Sheldon is coming back in a WNBA draft preview. I saw a they little bit of skirmish stuff with list. that, yeah. We're taking her off the list because she's coming back. And then the Big Ten, uh, not Big Ten commissioner, like the head of women's basketball, I forget, like a associate commissioner. I don't know what they call them. Um, I don't pay attention to the front office of the Big Ten very much. She said in a podcast, oh, J.C.'s coming back. So – before the JMU game, which is not the best place to ask, but it's at least not during a post-game presser. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to ask him. This is a practice press conference for the day before. I asked McGuff, and he was like, I have no idea. I'm not focusing on it. Blah, I don't ask her about it, blah, blah, blah. And then after the win against JMU, I did go to JC, and I was like, really quick, JC, can you confirm that it was you know published that you're coming back next year? And she said, I'm not thinking about it to the end of the season or making any decision until then. So the Athletic did say she's coming back with JC saying herself, she's not at any place to announce or make a final decision. So that was kind of like, okay, check your resource. It's, it's, not, that, it's not that tough. Everyone in the program felt shocked whenever like the comms person, everybody who we were talking to about it, nobody had any idea that she had said that. Thomas, like I said earlier, I do love the plot. I love what makes the story juicy. And I do have to ask, because you said because you said Cody McMahon is so excited to play UConn. She specifically said she wants to play UConn. They're so excited to play UConn. Have you gotten the vibe either from what they've said or how they've acted that they are aware, cognizant, that they are the clear, massive, overwhelming underdog Um, both by brand name and I mean if you just look at like so if you look at tournament challenge which before we get you off of here we'll have to um, ask you how your bracket is doing in the land grant holy land bracket challenge if you look at the women's tournament challenge um, (laughs) the people's bracket which you know they put the averages um, they do have Ohio State facing UConn in the sweet 16 but 81% of brackets have UConn beating Ohio State in the Sweet 16. So have you gotten anything from the team that like either they've said we know we're the underdog or the vibe a little bit that they know that they're not supposed to win this game? Well, what the team will say, and I've heard them say it most of the year, is that they always consider themselves the underdogs, which I don't know. When you hear stuff so many times, it's it becomes questionable. <laughs> but I, I really think they do see themselves as underdogs. I asked J.C. Sheldon after the JMU game because I didn't look at the people's bracket, but the experts' brackets. Like um, uh, Chantel, I forget her. I always forget her last name. Jennings. She works for The Athletic. Not the person who wrote the article earlier. I'm not calling any names out. She she works for The Athletic, and she shared her bracket. She had UNC beating Ohio State. Uh, Candace Parker, she had UNC beating Ohio State. I think uh, Barack Obama had UNC beating Ohio State. All of these... Um, expert brackets, maybe not the people's bracket, but the expert brackets were all pretty much putting UNC over Ohio State. And when I asked JC about that, because I noticed it, and I was like, geez, not a lot of people think Ohio State can even get out of their own city in this tournament. Um, she kind of she kind of laughed, like, 
you could tell from her response that they definitely all notice it. Uh, she said, yeah, you know, the, the motivation. And she had some kind of uh, canned response about being motivated and being the underdogs and whatnot. But I then after the I game against UNC, in the locker room, there's the dub chain video. I, I, I didn't hear it, but Bailey Johnson from the dispatch, she had tweeted out that Cody McMahon like called out Barack Obama after <laughs> they beat UNC. <laughs> so the players know when these brackets are not going there. Oh, I'm sure he did. Uh, Cody McMahon, uh, I'm so sorry. No, he didn't. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure he didn't call Cody. Um, maybe if they win it all, maybe maybe Brock will call after that point. Um, but they know. They definitely know. And I, I think they use it as as material. They won't say it out loud. Maybe Cody will. Right after a game, Cody would. Um, but, um, other than that, I don't think you're going to hear it from them, but they definitely know. They definitely know. Well, I mean, also, uh, the Ohio state went real quick to, um, the Ohio state women's basketball managers. If you're not on Instagram following them, they're a great follow because they kind of give you the pulse of what the team is thinking. And they posted something, um, after they beat, UNC the other night and they posted the GIF. Uh, no, it's not the meme, the famous meme of the bus on the, uh, on the train tracks. And then the train destroys the bus. Well, they labeled the bus celebrity brackets and then they labeled the train JC Sheldon. So I, <laughs> I think that tells you what the team talks about because the women's basketball managers, they're not um, media trained to be answering questions certain ways. Um, so you can kind of get a glimpse of what the, team is thinking sometimes from them if ohio state can stay composed on defense and hit their shots early i think ohio state can have a chance to win this game i uconn i mean they're they're full of stars even with page uh, page buchers out this year with the torn acl az fudd she is a guard who's missed a lot of games for injury this season but she's coming back she had uh she outscored baylor 17 to 6 in Monday night's uh, round of 32 game. Aaliyah Edwards, she can attack the basket. She really makes players get into foul trouble with how well she plays. And watching the refereeing on Saturday and Monday, you never know what kind of refereeing you're going to have in, in any college basketball game. Um, Saturdays, they had 50, 52 fouls called overall between Ohio State and JMU. It was not great. It was not fantastic. So if you have another refereeing performance like that, Aaliyah Edwards is somebody who could make your players get in trouble, but also she gets in trouble too with fouls. Um, Dorka Juhas, yeah, she's, she rebounds really high, uh, high-efficient rebound, excuse me, and then she also hits shots. She hits mid-range shots. She can attack the basket. They're just a team full of, team full of the best players from every – AAU, any high school, whatever, and they just they gel, and Gino expects the best out of them. They usually give it to him, but that I think the press is going to be the X factor. Watch the press, make some shots, and then it'll be it'll be a, an entertaining game. I hope it's entertaining. I don't want like a twenty thirty point Ohio State <laughs> defeat or something like that. Um, I wanted to at least stay close. That would be 
I've seen them do a lot of things this year, so I can't say anything is unbelievable, but that would be that would be something if that happened. All right, Thomas, before we get you out of here, um, it's 4 o'clock on Saturday, correct, on ABC? Am I right? What time is it yeah, on Saturday? Yeah, 4 o'clock on, uh, on Big ABC. Yeah, it's on Network ABC or the ESPN app if you got that stuff, uh, the stream. 4 yeah, o'clock, it's, it's insane. ABC. Eastern time. Eastern time. So for you in Seattle, it'll be 1 o'clock in the afternoon? 1 o'clock at Climate Pledge Arena, the home of the Seattle Storm of the WNBA, which is pretty awesome. They're one of, I think they're the only WNBA team who had an arena built strictly for them. So this is the first WNBA arena built, and they're going to be playing the Sweet 16 there, which is pretty, pretty cool. And then Ohio State or UConn will play the winners of uh, Tanner C and Virginia Tech. If you want to follow Thomas on Twitter as he heads to Seattle to be one of the, the few media members who are dedicated enough to get out west um, and give you firsthand coverage of this team, as he has done all year, you can follow him on Twitter at, is it one Thomas Costello? And I've had you on so many times, yeah. I think that's, we've got it down. Yeah, the number one Thomas Costello, no underscores, nothing like that. It's just one Thomas Costello. So follow Thomas this weekend as he heads to Seattle um, to cover the women as hopefully they advance to their, I believe, third Elite Eight, fourth Elite Eight in program history would be uh, huge for Ohio State, huge for that program. Um, Check out Thomas as he continues to drop story after story after story and make me and Justin feel like big slackers um, on the men's side. don't do that. No, don't do that. No. But Thomas, seriously, thank you for joining us again. I think you're our first ever five-time guest. You've taken the lead um, over Joe Gemma, the OSU um, social media guy for the basketball program. So we always appreciate you having on. Thank you for thank you for taking the time again this week. Joe's content, it's all about quality from him. That that you know blurry Michael Jordan over Craig Elo shot. You know what? I don't know if you saw the tweet. I mean, Matt put it in the Slack. Uh, that was that was a thing of beauty. So the fact that I'm better than Joe at anything, even if it's just attendance, is something that I'll, I'll really hang my hat on.